Welcome to This is Palestine. I'm Deanna Butu. Today, we're turning the tables and my colleague, Amanda Saadi, is going to be asking me questions about the Israeli elections. Welcome, Deanna. Thank you very much, Amanda. <laughs> Glad to, to turn the tables on you for a change. <laughs> so it's always fun. So thanks yeah. for doing this. So Israel is holding its fifth election in three years. Can you give us a little breakdown on why exactly this is happening? That's a great question, Amanda. Um, the short answer is that these parties can't agree on passing legislation. The longer answer is, is that um, because the longest serving prime minister, who is Benjamin Netanyahu, has corruption charges against him, there's been an attempt to try to push him out of politics and make sure that he's not able to be the prime minister. And so there've been all of these disputes about, about these coalitions that are forming, primarily an anti-Netanyahu coalition. Now to be clear, and this part is important, none of these disputes have anything to do with Palestinians. It's not as though any of the political parties, any of the Zionist political parties are opposed to Netanyahu's actions against Palestinians. Uh, to the contrary, there is a wall of Israeli consensus when it comes to dealing with Palestinians. And that wall of consensus supports the illegal occupation. It's a wall of consensus that supports illegal construction of settlements. It's a consensus that supports annexation. It's a consensus that supports Israel demolishing Palestinian homes. It's a consensus that supports the blockade on the Gaza Strip. And it's a consensus that supports not having equal rights or equality for Palestinians in Israel. So all of this, this horse trading, so to speak, and the back and forth when it comes to elections, really only center around whether Netanyahu is going to return and be prime minister, but has absolutely nothing to do with Palestinians because all of the political parties, whether the fascist right that we've seen emerge, or actually grow, not emerge, grow to the so-called left. And again, this is a so-called left because this isn't a left or a progressive parties that what that are progressive when it comes to Palestine no these are all they're all right wing whether it's left or right they all agree on all of these tenets of supporting the occupation of building and expanding settlements of demolishing Palestinian homes of um, blockading the Gaza Strip and on lack of equality for Palestinians in Israel so that's what the election is not about so you mentioned that there is, you know, varying degrees of right-wing parties. The left is not really a left. So now we're seeing, you know, more blatantly racist and fascist politicians like Ben Gavir. How much support do they have and how worried should people be about them? They have tons of support and, and we should be worried. Now, I, I want to be clear as somebody who lives here, Ben Gavir is not new. The Ben Gvir style of politician is also not new. We've seen throughout virtually every single Israeli election 
that the way that Israeli politicians get votes is by showing how much they can beat up and bash Palestinians. We saw this with Lieberman when he came up back in 2009, when he said no citizenship um, without loyalty. We saw this with the emergence of Naftali Bennett, who said that this is a Jewish state and, and who very openly and blatantly supported uh, settlement construction, who was not shy in saying that he killed Palestinians. We saw this with the support of Ayala Chiked, who called Palestinian mothers snakes. We've seen this with Netanyahu, who's been very openly racist towards uh, Palestinians. And now we see this with Ben Gvir, who has made it clear that he supports ethnic cleansing. So while the Ben Gvir style is not new, we should, of course, be worried about these people. And the reason that we should be worried is because along with this racist rhetoric is permission to be racist. And that was what Netanyahu and government did, was that every day as a Palestinian, he made sure that we were facing some form of daily racism, racism in his speech, racism in his behavior, and he normalized racism with the likes of Ben Gvir. Now, Ben Gvir, just so that people are aware, Ben Gvir is an Israeli settler. He lives in Hebron, um, in the illegal settlement in Hebron. He's somebody who walks a around with a weapon and, and, is, and has been routinely seen pulling out his weapon against Palestinians. He believes in, in the ethnic cleansing of Sheikh Jarrah. He, in fact, opened up his parliamentary office in Sheikh Jarrah. He's a person who is, supports the views of Meir Kahana, who says that he is his spiritual leader. And he's somebody who has indicated that Baruch Goldstein, a man who massacred 29 Palestinians back in 1994, he he's dressed up as him and calls him his hero. So this is not just a person who is a racist, but racist, fascist, who believes in ethnic cleansing, and we should be worried. We should be worried because this type of behavior has become normalized. And if he makes it into, um, into the Knesset, which is now looking as though he will be the third largest party in the Knesset, it was more likely that he's, more likely than not, that he's going to get a cabinet position which means that again, Palestinians are going to be the target of his wrath. So I think people should be, should be afraid because of who he is, because of the ideas that he supports, and because of the fact that, that no country around the world has been willing to hold any of these politicians to account for their racist speech and for supporting these racist views. So how will this exactly impact Palestinians, both in, in Palestinian citizens of Israel and Palestinians in the West Bank? For someone like him to be elected, what could we expect to happen on the ground? No matter who wins in these elections, the losers are Palestinians. And I say this because whether it's the what they with the right wing or what Israelis like to call center left, even though by any other standard, it's actually very right wing, whether the right wing or the what they call the center left gets elected, 
the outcome is going to be the same for Palestinians. The outcome is going to be that they will be pushing for the construction and expansion of Israeli settlements. They'll be pushing for more and more land theft. They'll be pushing for more and more assassinations. They'll be pushing for more and more home demolitions. They'll be pushing for a tightening, an even further tightening of the blockade on the Gaza Strip. And they're going to be pushing for even more racist legislation against Palestinians in Israel. So these elections are, no matter who wins, Palestinians are the losers. And that is fundamentally the problem is that, again, nobody is ever holding these political parties to task for the electoral choices that they make. I'm gonna contrast that, Amanda, with the 2006 Palestinian general elections. In 2006, the Palestinian general elections were held in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. And as you know, this is only a small portion of Palestinians worldwide. And yet, um, even though we held those elections, which were free and fair and overseen by many, many, many people, including US President Jimmy Carter, the result was when Hamas won a majority of the seats in the parliament, Hamas was boycotted. It was boycotted by the international community. And we still see that 16 years later, that it's not only boycotted, but that there is a no contact policy. The purported reason behind this no contact policy is because, um, because Hamas does not support the Oslo Accords. Now, I want you to contrast that with all of the parties that are in Israel, and in particularly those that are in the right wing. We see that on the right wing, that whether it's Likud, which is the, the least of the right wing, onward, that none of them support the Oslo Accords. None of them have recognized Palestine or Palestine's right to exist. And none of them have renounced any form of violence or any form of terrorism against Palestinians. Now take it to the even further right wing, such as the Benigvirs and the Smotriches, the religious Zionist parties that are now emerging will become the third largest parties. You see that none of them have any, believe that Palestinians should have any rights and in fact openly call for the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. And yet you see the way, the disparate way that that Palestinian political parties are treated versus Israeli political parties, that Israeli political parties that are open in their calls for ethnic cleansing become normalized and are dealt with. Whereas Palestinian political parties, that all they're simply doing is saying that they don't support Oslo and that they believe that they have a right to resist, that these political parties are ostracized. And so you can see how easily this push to the right happens and how Palestinians are affected by this because of the fact that the world is not willing to stand up and, and hold Israel to account for anything. So over the past month, probably longer, we've seen a rise in Palestinian resistance, specifically in Nablus and in Jenin. How do these elections tie into what's happening on the ground in the West Bank? Well, they're connected and they're not connected. I think first it's important to keep in mind that, that Palestinians have a right to resist. And 
we've seen that since the start of this calendar year, that virtually every single day, Israel has killed one Palestinian. The number is staggering. It's the highest number in about a decade. And Israel keeps doing this in a low-grade fashion, low-grade, day by day, day by day. And because it's low-grade, day by day, although the impact is great, the world doesn't do anything about it. They don't say anything about it. Now, add to this the fact that as we're getting closer to the elections, Yair Lapid, who is running on a center-left ticket, now remember when center-left is just a label that they use, but there's nothing centrist about him. There's nothing left-wing about him. In any other political context, this would be considered to be a right-wing political party. They're not progressive in any way, shape, or form. We've seen that in order for him to get more votes, that he has he has cracked down on Palestinians. And he's, he's brought back this campaign of assassinations. Just last week, we saw that Israel assassinated six Palestinians in Nablus. We see that these that Palestinian cities like Nablus and Janine, as well as the Sharfat refugee camp, were besieged for days. Nablus is still closed. Even leading up to this election, just on the eve of elections, Israel announced that it is closing down all of the checkpoints, which is to say that no Palestinian, including those who have the ability to travel because they have permits, no Palestinian is allowed outside of cities that are in the West Bank. And this is all for him to shore up to support and to show just how, just how tough he is. It's also important to keep in mind that this labeling of the six NGOs, six Palestinian NGOs and outlawing, banning these six NGOs, also came under Lapid, under Lapid's leadership, meaning that this wasn't something that was done under Netanyahu, the self-professed right-winger, but somebody who claims that he is a center leftist. So what these elections are doing is that he is trying to use Palestinian bodies to try to get more and more votes. And this is the tactic that each and every Palestinian political party has done is they're always trying to show just how tough they are and who can hit harder, who can hit faster, who can hit further. In fact, going back to Ben Gvir, one of the messages that he has been pushing is that this is now time for, for him to own the house. Now, when he says the word house, he's not talking about houses in the House of Congress or the Congressional House or the Parliamentary House. He's talking about physically owning the house. And so, again, these elections are affecting the, what Israel is doing because each of the parties wants to demonstrate just how tough they are when it comes to Palestinians. None of them have been talking about ending their 55-year military occupation. None of them have been talking about ending settlements. None of them have been talking about decolonization. 
None of them have been talking about about no longer stealing land. None of them have been talking about stopping home demolitions. And none of them have been talking about equality for Palestinians. So in a sense, these elections are just business as usual for them. It is. For Israel, it's business as usual. And for Palestinians, of course, it's business as usual. But the scary part, Amanda, is that while it's business as usual for Israel and for what it does to Palestinians, what I suspect is going to happen is that we Palestinians are going to pay the price even harder this time. And I say this because if you look back in history at the time when Netanyahu was first elected, or sorry, when he was first ousted, not elected, when he was first elected, um, this was during the, the Clinton era. And then when he came, when it came time for re-election, he ended up losing and no longer being prime minister because of the rise of the Palestinian vote inside Israel. The Palestinian vote inside Israel is what actually brought him down back in, back in the 90s. Since that time, he has put his sights on Palestinians and has done everything possible to try to make sure that the Palestinians pay the price. I suspect that uh, when, and I'm not saying if, I said when he gets elected again, that he is going to do it once again. He's already said as much leading up to this election. He's already indicated that, that he's going to be building and expanding settlements, that he's going to push for annexation, that he's going to push for more countries to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. But he's also indicated that Palestinians in Israel are going to pay a price. And so even though this might be business as usual, we shouldn't be sitting contently and saying, oh, well, because it's business as usual, um, we're just going to have to wait and see. I think it's, it's, we, should be our, we should be alarmed by what is happening and be aware of what is happening and be prepared for what the next phase is going to bring for us. And what can Palestinians do then in 48 in Israel and in the West Bank? What we can do, Amanda, is recognize that no matter who is in Israeli politics, that these policies are going to be the same. And there seems to be a tendency on the part of some people to say that this is all about Netanyahu. It's not. This isn't just about Netanyahu. It's about the entire system. And I think that we need to be doing a lot more strategizing about how to try to stop this racist legislation how to stop the settlement construction and expansion, how to protect ourselves from Israel's uh, military machine, how to protect ourselves from our homes being demolished, and how to protect ourselves as a community. Well, thank you, Deanna, for that breakdown, and we'll see what happens yes, in the next few days. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks. Thank you for listening to This is Palestine a podcast brought to you by the Institute for Middle East Understanding. The IMEU is a nonprofit focused on giving you access to untold stories, facts, and expert sources on all things Palestine. For more information, please visit our website at www.imeu.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the IMEU. Please don't forget to subscribe. I'm Deanna Butu. Thanks for listening.